Fabulous Quick Tanning Lotion by Copper Tone gives you a double tan. Used as directed, QT tans you indoors without the sun, smoothly and evenly, in just three to five hours. Use QT in the sun, your tan becomes deeper, richer, and helps prevent sunburn, too. You get a quicker tan, a double tan when you use QT. Guaranteed by Copper Tone. Is working hard to create killing your ability to create? When you think of really interesting ideas, you know, those creative, out-of-the-box, innovative, and breakthrough ideas or inventions, they're usually not the kinds of ideas that happen overnight. Think about the can opener for a moment. It took 45 years after the can was invented to invent the can opener. We didn't invent sliced bread until 1928. Charles Darwin took decades to get his theory of evolution right. But then, on the other hand, there are great examples of amazingly creative solutions that come from being under pressure. If you've seen the movie Apollo 13, you watched engineers work under extreme time pressures to come up with a solution that would prevent the death of the astronauts. Or in a decidedly less dramatic version of that, think of that time you figured out a way, you know, midnight or 1 a.m. just before the day of the test to write hints for your semester exams on your fingernails. And this is certainly common for us in marketing these days. The pressure to publish, create, and do interesting things is becoming more and more and more pronounced and under more extreme time pressures. We have to simultaneously edit the sales guy's PowerPoint as we create that new thought leadership piece, write up the benefits of the product, create new ad copy for the print campaign, write a new headline for the booth stand, optimize all the web content for search, and pour through the analytics looking how to optimize all of it. Now, you've almost certainly rationalized this or certainly heard from your colleagues who will tell you, yeah, deadlines make me more creative. I feel more artistic under pressure. I get better breakthroughs when I'm under pressure. Except that's not true. Time will get things done. It forces decisions. It gets execution finished. But it almost never makes any of those decisions any more breakthrough or creative. Today, time pressure and the number of things to do are collapsing on themselves. I frequently meet with people that tell me their business work to-do list is infinite. They can always find more stuff to do that they haven't accomplished yet. And that means we must add one more to-do to our list. Create. If for you, your business, the ideas that are coming out of it are simply widgets that come off an assembly line with no differentiating value, then this is not going to work and quite frankly, you don't need to listen. But if you value ideas as being different, you have to respect the time for creativity. There should be a requisite amount of time for not executing, not moving, simple contemplation, creativity, creating. 
Respecting your time for being creative with no determined output is the only way we can make time for the really interesting breakthrough or inventive ideas that will define our work. And isn't that what we really want out of our business? And that's the theme of our show today. Are you defining your work or is your work defining you? And now it's time for the creativity weather. There's a warm front of chit-chat coming your way, a buildup of clouds for a brainstorm that should drop about an hour of creative thinking with a chance of rants and raves. You ready to play? Then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 177 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, April 2nd, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the guy who's always working on some new creative content marketing shtick, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Hello. Hello there. <laughs> not to, I'm not working on anything new anytime uh, soon. I'm tired. That's... I'm, I'm two I, that's weeks not in even Vegas. a little bit true. See, the, here's the thing. I know that's a lie. I know it's a lie because I know you. But I don't tell anybody this. Yeah, I know. It's you. Because then people will say, secret. oh, Joe's going to start something else. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm no. not starting anything else. I'm going to just be content. I'm going to rake the leaves. <laughs> I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to go take my kids to their musicals and uh, basketball games, and that's all I'm doing. That's okay. And all these other ideas that get in the way of life are going to have to wait. You're going to give them to your friend Robert is what you're going to do. <laughs> give all those wonderful, good ideas to your friend Robert because he needs them right now. He needs them. I need you it. Have, oh, you have way I need the Glengarry ideas. ideas. <laughs> well... I well, I do have some of those actually. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you've convinced me. You drive a really hard bargain. I will get, <laughs> I will get all the good ideas for you. All right then. Hey, and happy happens. anniversary to you. Thank you. Or yes. to us, yeah. I should say. Not to, to us, not to, to PNR, but to CMI. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, today we are recording on is April second, two thousand seventeen, and it is exactly ten years to the day. From when uh, my wife and I started what has become Content Marketing Institute. Dun, dun, and, dun. Uh, it is, it is a, uh, yeah, Ten so years, I, as, I, as decade, I posted on, a yeah, decade post, of content. As I posted on Facebook, I was feeling sentimental. Yeah. About that, that it actually uh, happened. And I've been feeling actually sentimental for the last month and a half because, as I told you before we started, I've got a note in front of me. I've, I've kept it forever. But on 227, I've got a note from my wife. Because that's the day I went into Pet and Media and resigned, so it's a good luck. That's a wonderful little good luck uh, note that she sent me. So Aww. I keep that. I read that all the time. It's very inspirational. It's, and then I knew, okay, well, that was my tenth anniversary of resigning from corporate America. And then, you know, then I I went and started the business on on four two. The kids were young. Kids were three and I five know. at the time. I remember. And I remember. Uh, and it's funny because as I do 
and you know, like half half my half my talks and speeches out there are like hardcore content marketing. Like I was at Adobe Summit, as we talked about last episode, did my hardcore content first, product second speech. But a lot of the speeches out there are entrepreneurial, focused on small businesses getting started. And and when I talk about that, I basically say it took three and a half years until I knew that I wasn't going to have to get a real job. <laughs> because the it was so, so, so if you date it, April 2nd, 2007, we started, and it wasn't until September 5th, I think, September 6th of 2011, that, and that was actually walking out on stage for the first time at Content Marketing World. That was the, the way, and, and actually, you, you mentioned this a couple times in some of the notes that you've sent, is when you know Pam and I looked at each other, and we said, oh my God, that this is it. Like, I actually think we did something. <laughs> And that'll pay the bills. And it was this glorious moment. And yep. I'm walking out on stage the first time with the, that orange, horrible orange astronaut uniform. Oh, it was so that great. That I though. had. Oh, God. It's so hokey. It was hokey, so great. It was so you know, great, though. But, and, and that is true. Absolutely. I I got to witness that look. I got to see that look. And so it's it's one of my favorite moments uh, of the last 10 years is is seeing the way you guys looked at each other and sort of recognize the fact that you were starting something really really cool and um yeah and here we are a decade later oh it was it was terrible because (laughs) i'm well terrible good but it was i had to pull it together because it was probably two minutes before i'm ready to kick this thing off um getting everything ready putting on the orange you know kelly kelly our event director she sort of stepped back i'm putting on the suit in this cramped little space right to the side of the um, the opening stage and Pam comes back there and she's crying her eyes out and I'm and that I'm like getting teary and I'm like I gotta go out like we gotta pull it together here uh, because as as you know we expected what a hundred people if, well we were hoping for a hundred people to come to Cleveland that year yeah and that year we had 660 and still still can't believe it so it's amazing anyways it's, amazing. it's been yeah it's been it's been fun yeah. So, well, yeah, but, I mean, you, I mean, it's, it's, so it's hard to say like, and it's funny cause I'm reading this other book right now, uh, that says never be friends with your staff, never be friends with your team. And then I'm looking at, at content marketing instead. I'm like, we're all friends. Yeah. We're all such close friends. I mean, you and I are great friends and JK and Kathy and, uh, you know, Laura, Mo, everybody, you know, everybody, we're all, we're all great friends. So it's just. It's tough. I disagree yeah, with I, that. Yeah, I, I really don't like you very much, but that's but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to disagree uh, with well, you. Well, I have show, so but. so enough about me. Yeah. And I told you this because I wanted you to hear it from me after after <laughs> Intelligent Content Conference. No, it's true. Yeah. You gave maybe your your best keynote speech ever. Then you started with the whole thing, you know, if you create the ship, you also create the shipwreck which is, I love that whole thing, and it played really well, and it resonated, and everybody said, oh, the best of the day, even though we had some great keynotes, best of the day, Robert Rose. But then after your Q&A with Fran, uh, the closing, I t- what did I tell you? You you told me that I might be a better interviewer than I am. You might am be a better interviewer. Speaker. That's, and you're a great, you're one of the best keynotes out there, but you have a way with Q&As. So oh, I think shucks. that's your 
It's true. It was. You want to talk about that yeah, at all? Because I, I know well, you were. So I yeah, mean, you might, might want to tell people uh, yeah, a little bit about Fran. Yeah, so we so don't. we're just coming off of intelligent content, and and we thought it might be fun to reflect a little bit on the last week because it was a great show, and we had a lot of, as you mentioned, a lot of amazing speakers um, that really imparted a lot of. Con- I think it was it was definitely our biggest ever, and I'll dare say our best ever. I would agree um, with that, <clears throat> and it was it was just really you know a really great community coming together. Um, you know, in the same vein of the community of content marketing world when it first started. And it was it was just really wonderful. And and so what Joe was referring to was I closed the show with an interview of uh I you know, iconoclast, author, uh Bon Vivant, whatever you want to call her, Fran, Fran Leibowitz. Um uh and um we we chatted for about half an hour before she got up and did a little bit of a QA with the audience and I you know it, what I'll tell you is this: when you when you when you're getting ready to prepare for a interview with Fran Lebowitz, you do a lot of research, and you you know I've read both her books. I watched the, there's an HBO documentary that I watched, and there was um, I read many of the essays um, and 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 columns from her old column in Interview Magazine, and, and basically just you know really read up on on Fran Lebowitz and you're ready to go in there and I wanted to talk about content and writing and creating and all that stuff and and I was so glad that her what she had to say resonated so well I mean the audience ate it up they loved it they loved everything she had to say which was fantastic and she was funny and sardonic and and just and you know a little mean-spirited at times but hey that's angry Fran so you know get used to it um, blah, 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 went into politics a little bit, you know, and all that stuff. And I will tell you that as an interviewer who cares about value for the audience, it was great. As an interviewer who wanted to get to something new and interesting, it was just kind of meh, it was fine. And what I mean by that is that when I when I did all this preparatory work, I was hoping that she would come out and want to do, you know, and have a conversation. And she didn't. She does. She, she does not want to have a conversation. She wants to talk, and she wants to, you know, say what she's going to say, tell the story she's going to tell, and they're extraordinarily entertaining. But she doesn't want to have a conversation, which is, as an interviewer, really kind of uninteresting, just to be honest. And and so for me, it was, you know, it. it, it let me put it this way: it wasn't Cleese, right? So when I interviewed John Cleese. That was maybe one of the best moments I've ever had on stage and just so much fun and enjoyable and feel like I got to know him a little bit and whatever. This was really just making sure that we kept the train on the tracks and make sure that she got off and, and, and everybody had a good time. And so that's what I'd say. It was, it, I'm glad, I'm so glad it came off well and, and, and so glad the audience got a lot of value out of it and so glad that I didn't screw it up. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I, I was hoping for more. I had to laugh though, when she, you said you were reading interview magazine. <laughs> yeah. <And she's, laughs> she said, well, 99.9% of the audience that read interview magazine were homosexual. Right. <laughs> Looking at you. Yes. It was so funny. Yeah. It was, it was funny. I wanted to stand up and I wanted to go and, and, and make a thing. And like, you know, I was pretending to come out of the closet at that point. I wanted to like do the bit, 
But, you know, at that point, I had recognized that she was really just monologuing. And so I was like, I'm not yeah. going to interrupt her. She's on a flow. She's, you know, I'm, you know, it's not the time to do shtick. <laughs> but it's the little, it's, I mean, your timing on some of this stuff is fantastic. So what happened is, so you and, and Fran, you did about 30, 35 minutes or something. And then Fran wanted to go to the podium and yeah. take questions. So right. uh, Kathy McPhillips and I were sort of roaming around with the, with the microphone. And r- the last couple questions were were very negative right because she was going on about well religion and trump and all the things that you don't want somebody to talk about right. at a conference so she was going hardcore and the worst thing is is she would make a point and then state it again and again <laughs> right exactly. over and over and you yeah. and i are looking at each other from across the room like oh my god right this is terrible and we you know said we, we gave her a round of applause or whatever and you came up and said <laughs> what'd you say unicorns and lollipops for everyone <laughs> Oh and I'm God. just like, that's the best way to end it. Because everybody's like, well, what do we do now? Our democracy is coming yeah, to We an may end. not survive. And, yeah. You know? and, that, and if you're at all religious, boy, that's terrible, too. So yeah. it's just, it was, but I think everybody took it with, she has a fan club there because people ran up after, wanted to take pictures. I know a lot of our friends are like, I got to read all her stuff now. So yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, you know, I, I think she, I think you know, she's always witty. She's always got something to say, and she's got a distinct point of view, you know, like it or not. Um, and I think, you know, uh, there were a lot of people in the audience who, a, a surprising amount, I will say, a surprising amount of people who came knowing her. And yeah. I was really actually quite surprised. Pleasantly surprised by how many actually came up and and were really and were really into what she was doing. And I was, you know, I was actually honestly, you know, because when you and I talked about bringing her in, we were like, ah, it's a bit of a stretch, you know. This is, you know, even did you see the did you see the article that um, the one the one woman who stood up and asked a question and has a Fran fan club and was part of it? No, she, she wrote no. an article on Medium. I'll send you the link. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes too. Um, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's, it, it basically goes through her, uh, you know, her, her, her experience of the, of the keynote of the, of the, of the interview. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's a wonderful recap of the whole thing, but it also talks about how she was a fan and growing up and she was really sort of like, didn't understand why we had actually chosen to bring Fran in. But then when it, when she came in, it was like, I fit so perfectly. And it was like, you know, I mean, we, you and I can pat ourselves on the back on this is, you know, this is an inspired choice to close the keynote, even though it's completely um, seems, you know, out of well, sync. And the, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, a technology conference that has somebody as the closing keynote that uses no technology right. other than an answering machine. And has an active disdain for it. I mean, yes. <laughs> Anything machine related. <laughs> exactly. She does not. And by the way, just so everyone knows, when she writes... She she uses a pen and pen. paper. Yeah, a pen and paper. That's she she is she's never used a typewriter before. Yeah, as she says, she could write with her own blood and never bleed to death. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's a great line. Yeah. Yeah. Is what else? What else but did her you... latest but her latest book, how long has it taken for that to come? I mean, it's still years. Yes. Well, as she said, the people in the audience hadn't been born when she signed the contract to deliver oh, that book. So God. she yeah, it's been 
it's been 40 years. Yeah. For since, yeah. you know, since she, since she signed that yeah. contract, it's, so, it's funny. It says it's coming out in September. And I actually asked her, asked her about that on stage. I said, so is the new book coming out in September? And she's like, what are you kidding me? <laughs> that's, uh, that's so funny. Oh, she's like, Oh, it, 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 somebody said, Oh, it came out already. Oh, thank God it did. Cause I don't have to finish it. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. so, I mean, before we get on to the, the news news, uh, was there a big, topic was there something that really hit home for intelligent content conference is sort of our news of the week yeah you know what i would say is that uh here's here was my overall takeaway which was also a a a, an extremely pleasant surprise which is how many people came up to me and said this is exactly what i needed right now to start thinking about the strategic use of content, content strategy, as opposed to content marketing, content strategy, but what marketers need to know about it. You know, what, what, how marketers need to deal and understand things like governance and auditing and messaging architecture and all that stuff. And to have a marketing audience there to help them understand these issues and how many people came up to us afterwards and said, this, this was perfect. This was the right tone. It was the right, it was the right lessons. It was the right takeaways. And how many of the speakers got such rave reviews because they gave actionable takeaways on this stuff. It was, it was really, really just wonderful. So that was my overall takeaway. And of course there were individuals within there that, you know, just, I thought blew it out of the park. Well, this was our first year. So we've been trying to do this for like, how do you get marketers to think about content strategy? Yeah, and think, that's right. Think about content as an asset in the organization. And we've been trying to do it now. I mean, obviously, this is the ninth conference, but it's the third that we've run. And the first two years, we were still talking in the language of UX and content strategists. Yes. And it never, and marketers never got it. It was, it, if you'd go to our classes the last couple of years, I think for the most part, you'd come away confused. And finally we got it where we've been able to take it. And I think hopefully the, the, the surveys will show that we made it tangible. We made it meaningful to marketers and they finally started to, to get that. Oh, this is what we mean by, uh, you know, thinking about the business model of content. Yeah, not it connected. Just, it finally yeah. connected, right? We connected the two. You know, if you look at the Venn diagram of it all, it was very separated. And then we started to get like a little bit of overlap in that first year. And, and then this year we sort of like, you know, I had somebody come up to me and, and, and literally said to me, you finally clicked it. You finally got it into gear, right? You finally, you know, you found it. You found that sweet spot. And it was really finding that great overlap between strategy technology and and you know scalability and adaptability of content as an asset a technical asset and then the meaning of marketing and sort of understanding how that affects what we do as marketers well i loved it i mean we had a lot of sessions on artificial intelligence this year which i think was good but in my conversations with after the first couple, there were some marketers coming up to me and said, Joe, this AI thing, it's, it's too big. It's too far away. It's too. And I said, no, it's not. It's here. And the reason why we have to talk about it, and this is the reason why Robert and I put this together, is, is that most of us are creating content. And what Val Schwisher talked about in, in her panel with Paul Reitzer on the future of content is we're creating this just a big blob of content. That has no tagging. There's no meaning that any kind of machines or computer software can't take and do something with. Right. And 
if anything, I think that was the takeaway. Ultimately, it's just like, look, whether or not you really do things in AI doesn't matter to this point. What I mean, what what we're trying to do is, if you're going to try to take uh, more humans out, unnecessary human involvement out of the process, and scale this as much as we possibly can, you have to set up your content with a certain structure in a certain way, so that the technology can actually use what you put together. So they, they, we can create personalized content experiences. It's exactly and what, it. Yeah. And what most marketers do, and when I mean most, I mean 99.5% of marketers, that they're just cre- we're just creating lots of content that has no underlying relevance for any software or machines to do anything with. So what we tend to be doing now is going back, right? We're like, oh, okay, well, we've created all this content. We've got to go back and re-tag it. And look at it, put some structure to it, build a taxonomy, all those types of things. And what we're also then trying to say is now, from here forward, what are the simple things that you can do, looking at it as we're saying, as as an asset, that we can set this up in a way so that when those wonderful technologies come along, which a lot of them are here and a lot of those people sponsored our event, then you can actually set it up so that when somebody is engaging with your content it is truly meaningful and you don't have a hundred people editing that content and doing all kinds of things to it that are really unnecessary if we created that content correctly in the first place yeah so that's yeah that's a great that's a great point you know as i i I said to somebody in the hall i said you know if you know look at look at it this way artificial intelligence is the earthquake that's coming you know it's coming you don't know when but you know it's a big disruptive thing that's going to happen to you at some point what we're what we're really getting at at this conference is teaching you how to prep for that teaching you how to you know teaching you how to create a strategy that will make sure that you are as prepared for that disruption when it's going to happen when it happens if it happens right so it may not happen for five years it may not happen for 10 years it may not happen for 20 years but you're going to be prepped for it when it when it hits and so that's the importance of 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 looking at structuring and managing your content in this way is getting good at it before you've already before you're already behind were there any other things like any particular one or two things before we get on to the news of the week well that really hit you yeah i loved you know um Will Reynolds, who who did a talk on SEO, which was maybe the best talk on SEO I've ever seen. Um, who you know, he actually, you know, I I couldn't be less interested in SEO, and he actually made me interested in SEO. So that was a well. A, what was great? Of, well, yeah. I mean, I think it. Everyone's trying to get the the first page and the first um, result in a Google search that they're, and he basically said it doesn't mean anything, right? If the content behind it isn't truly helpful. Right, because basically what he showed was he showed live video or video of people that are going through certain searches, and they were talking through why they're clicking and why they're not and whatever, and they'd go to a piece of content that was, and for whatever reason, unhelpful to them, and they'd quickly go back to Google and find something else. That's right. And you're like, oh my god! And he was he was talking about one piece of BuzzFeed content that had so many people going to that page, and most of it was not helpful. Yes, that's exactly so, right. So it's like, who cares? It just hurts them. Yeah. So, yeah, he's a great presenter too. Yeah, just, it was fun. It was entertaining, very entertaining. Yes, you know, ab- and making absolutely. making SEO entertaining is a high bar for me, and he definitely. Did <laughs> <over it. laughs> 
Well, my my thing was uh, was having the the opportunity to do a little Q and A with Victor Gao from oh, um, course, Aero yeah. Electronics. Oh my gosh, yes, I forgot about so, that. So and yeah. and as yeah. I had to tell everyone, well, which is nice, he used a clip from our show, yeah, this podcast as well. But we were, uh, I mean, I had to go up there and say, look, I am a complete nutter fanboy for Aero Electronics, and those of you that have been listening to the podcast know that is my favorite case study right now. And the fact that they went out and purchased 51 media companies has something to do with it. So I'm on stage with him. He gave a nice, like, 30, 35-minute presentation talking about their journey to get there. And then I'm just, you know, enthralled with the idea of they've got this separation between church and state and how they do that. And they've got everything on a separate server. And they create a separate LLC to do this. But they are indeed the largest media company in the electronics industry they're also a fortune 120 company and obviously and and we talk about his case study a lot in our in our new book killing marketing coming out but i love that i don't know how that q a came off with him and i oh it was fantastic i was trying to get him to really spill the beans as to like what's next okay you're you're are you going to buy events is there a podcast is there something else and it sounded like he was saying that they are continuing to look at more acquisitions oh i can't area. imagine they're not right yeah i mean why not you know you're this far in why not you know why not have it all right i mean why not buy all of it and i think i mean what a what an accomplishment right i mean you 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 know i mean, I mean it, it sounds very james bond villain with a you know, cat in a white tower, but you're, you know, think about it for a second. If you're, if you're a brand and you own every single piece of, you know, recognizable media in your industry, I mean, what kind of power is that? I mean, that's a, that's a really, it's an interesting thing. Think what you like, think what you like, but yes, they, they basically are driving the industry forward single handedly right now. Yeah. From you know, a from a from a communication and a relationship basis, yeah, and 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 protecting it. I mean, what you know? I mean, again, look, you can you can you can question the motives, right? You can you can say, look, we we overall, I don't trust a brand to own the industry media, and and you know, there's a philosophical debate to be had there. But if you assume for the moment that their motives are pure, that they're what they're really trying to do is protect the education of an industry. And to me, that is such an interesting idea. You know, what he talked about is, you know, when kids coming out of school, they have a vested interest in kids coming out of school to choose electronics and become, you know, an electrical engineer. And he said, that's our vested interest because that is what, you know, going all the way back to our classic marketing, that is what increases our TAM, our total addressable market. Anything that drives that forward is good for us. And so by supporting every current trade publication that helps these people become interested, educated, and talented at becoming an electrical engineer is a good thing. So protecting that from the vagaries of business, from the mm-hmm. you know, from the temporal nature of, of how publishing companies look at industry trade magazines is a sound investment for them because otherwise they're going to, you know, these, these kids are going to be relegated to trying to find this on, you know, old blogs and, you know, old versions of, you know, community pages and stuff that, you know, individuals might launch, but we'll never have the budget and time to do the quality research into what's really happening in that industry. And it's, you know, it, to me, that's just a fascinating thing. And, and, you know, you start, your mind goes to all these other industries that this could be applied to. And you think about, you know, everything from, 
you know, from print to uh, electronics and, you know, to other types of technology, to software, to open source, to, you know, to, I mean, just to anything you, where you're, you know, travel, where your head goes and trying to get to become the true sort of expert and supporter and subsidizer, if you will, of the education in that industry is just a fascinating thing. I think the, you're so right. And I think the most interesting conversation, I had three separate conversations. I might've, you might've been around for one of them. I can't remember. It's all a big blur, but the, <laughs> the, the three companies, they were all fortune 100 companies. And actually there were a couple that were fortune 10 companies that we talked to. Uh, most of the people at ICC were, were brand marketers at very large companies. And they were asking me specifically after Victor from Aero Electronics presented, how do we pitch this? They were, of course, if you've got big budgets, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, do I, do I wait 18 to 24 months and put in a lot of work and build up an audience? Or do we go out and purchase? Well, the first thing you do as a publishing professional is you look to see if you can acquire. It's the, it's the best route to, to doing anything like this. And I said to all of them in one way or another, I said, but you, you don't want to go and pitch anything related to the discipline of content marketing because they won't get it. They won't understand that. What you want to pitch to them is a better use of cash because every one of the companies that I was talking with had large amounts of cash on the sidelines. And basically any big company you talk to today, you right now have large amounts of cash on the sideline. They don't know whether to put it in the market. Uh, they've got a lot of funds overseas. There's just a lot of money, these corporations that have been war chesting over the past, basically since 2009, 2010. And I said, what you want to pitch if the CFO is in the room is say, let's use a better, it's a better use of cash. So instead of cash getting us between one and 3%, 3% would be great, but they're probably getting more like 1% on their cash. And you don't know what you're going to get in the stock market right now. And they've probably already got a lot in there. Let's take that and acquire a media company for all the benefits that you and I just talked about. But if you acquire a media company, that's making some kind of a reasonable profit. It doesn't have to be a great profit, but a reasonable profit. The valuation on that profit is generally between five and eight times profit. So immediately, if you take that cash and that cash is just sitting on the side getting 1%, you could take that and put that into a media company where on the valuation of the company and the, the value of the stock price, you can get between five and eight times the profitability on that. That's immediately can take your the value of your company right. to another level exactly. in and of itself. Exactly. Don't even talk. Don't talk about audience building. Don't talk about all the things that we're going to talk about in killing marketing. Does, you don't have to make that case. You just have to say it's a better use of cash. And here's 18 reasons why. So that's the way that I told them to pitch it. I said, go pitch to the CFO this. Don't go pitch into your CMO and talk about audience building and all that stuff because they might not get it. I just say better use of money. Yeah, so I do both. I do. I do both. But yeah, but you're yes. right. You you do have to do because the, have to do because both. the question is is then you know because the the, the question because what what has happened with Victor and with Arrow and with the companies that we know that we've talked to for the book um, for example is they've then executed well because the worst thing that happens is you go out and Victor talked about this in his talk right the worst thing you can do is go out and acquire a media company and screw it up and and break it basically you know and yeah. and, it, and it would be very easy to do that to go out and acquire a media company and immediately slap your logo all over it forget about you know the business model don't put the firewall up don't really actually put anything up make it a part of your marketing department and you blow away the audience you blow away the value and you've just blown the money 
And so there is an acquisition piece of this, and then there is an execution and ongoing operation of this that needs to be taken into account. That is very true. And so making the business model case is also, you know, because, you know, you have to assume that Aero Electronics went, hey, we're not good at this. We need to figure out how to get good at this. And so either we're going to promote one of the first people that we acquire, or two, we're going to put somebody like Victor in charge of this who actually knows what the heck he's going to do here. Exactly. Yeah. So I stand corrected. Both. <laughs> well, you need to make yeah. both arguments, which, by the way, was not in the book, and now it's going to be in the book because yeah. I need to put a whole little thing on. Oh, it's such a there, great so. argument. The, the whole use of cash thing is such a is such an interesting thing, and this is you know, and it feeds right into our, you know, what we talk about all the time now, which is is that this whole content marketing and content thing is not just a marketing strategy. This is a business strategy, business strategy. that marketing people happen to perform. That's um, exactly well, right. Well, speaking of business strategies that marketing people happen to perform, we have, I mean, we've, we've spent the wonderful time talking about ICC, but we should talk about a wonderful sponsor who's chosen to make their business strategy part of our little show. Absolutely. And, uh, and I have to remind you, Robert, this is the company, Parsley, not the herb. Ah, so that's, that's you know, parsley. I always get that wrong. You always get that. I started you never quite to use know. more parsley in my in my dinner last night. It's healthy. Like, yeah, it's healthy. It's a healthy thing. The, her, the herb and the company. I do. I like so, it. It's a very tasty <laughs> on soup. I like it on soup. I put it on my my chicken soup. Okay, that's great. I'm glad you do that. <laughs> with with content creation and promotion comes a lot of data. If you have data digital, is also good on chicken soup. Data is yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. It just depends on the kind of data. <laughs> uh, if you have a digital audience, there's a good chance that you have trouble connecting the information your data provides with a way to use it to improve your content strategy. But don't worry, you're not alone. Parsley has researched the state of content analytics with a survey of publishers, brands, and anyone that else that creates content. It's a good representative sample. The report they produced on the findings reveals what metrics the industry considers most useful. The siloed state of brand and publisher offices when it comes to data access. Well, that's sure. And how their analytics end up impacting the content they create. You can get this amazing report at cmi.media slash PNR 177. That's cmi.media slash PNR 177. Or you go to thisoldmarketing.com and you can download it directly. But this is a wonderful asset. If you haven't looked at this research, you really need to. It is a uh, report that one of those reports that Robert and I like because it's truly helpful. So thanks to Parsley Absolutely. for sponsoring this episode and actually providing us with something good that we can talk about. So it's there the, you go. It's the chicken soup for your parsley for your life is what that is, is, is that report. So there you go. It's going to make you healthier. <laughs> I, 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 I'm hung, getting hungry, actually. I have belabored that metaphor continue. about as far as I can. <laughs> I don't think you could go any further before people <laughs> so will with that, stop listening. Let's move <laughs> to your favorite part of the show, which is our rants and rave section, ladies and gentlemen. It's where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that, oh, you know, makes us feel like we're truly spending time being creative or makes us feel like we're pressured under the time to make us do something that we don't want to do. And so let's see, I'm going first because I have this old marketing this week and I have a very short commentary and then a bit of a rave actually. Oh, okay. um, Very yeah. Nice. So my commentary, um, the, the show notes that we'll link to is from an article uh, in the business standard, business-standard.com. Um, and it's about Netflix. And all I wanted to do was just call out something that just 
it, it just blew, it's a statistic that blew me away. Um, and I think it's an important one for us to know. So, and this may only be interesting to me because I'm here in Hollywood and think about this stuff. But it, but what I what I thought was so interesting about the takeaway here is anybody who says that original content creation and producing a lot of it and doing it in a really interesting way is a dying thing, right? The whole content shock, all that kind of stuff. Just, just it's just like shut up, right? Because this is a fascinating thing to me. So. Do, do you know how much? How much do you think Netflix is going to spend next year on content, on creating original programs? Oh God, uh, I something in my in me thinks it's it's a billion or two, but I don't think that's right. It's six billion dollars. No, it's, it's not that much. Six billion dollars. Um, they're going to spend on content next on year. just content creation on, on content. Yes, on on content as a as for the oh you know, got it for them right and got so. It. Most of that is original content, by the way, um, and so that that so look at HBO about two billion, so it's three HBOs, or you look at it as HBO, Showtime, and FX networks combined is how much they're going to spend on content. The only wow. one they're second to now, tell me who 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 you think who are they only second in the world to spending that much on content. Oh man, um, it's a great answer. It's so wonderful. Well, it, so I want to say Amazon, but I don't think that's true. It's, it's not. It's is it? Um, it's is somebody it we talked about on the show last week. It's not Disney. No. Well, uh, kind of. It's kind of Disney. It's but it's but how could it be kind of Disney? Well, because it's ESPN. Well, it's Disney. Yeah. So it's ESPN. <laughs> ESPN. Well, I mean, you know, it's not really Disney. It's sort of, you know, they're going to be part fine. of Apple someday anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, don't listen to any of that. So, <laughs> seven point three billion dollars. But as we talked wow. about last week on the show, ESPN is struggling under these legacy content, you know, deals with you know NFL and MLB and those sorts of things, and so they're sort of overspending for licensing and not on the original content what, side. Oh, can I just, that's so interesting to me yeah. because you're right. That's the problem that ES, ESPN exactly. is not, it's not the subscriber problem, which everybody talks about. It's that they're spending so much on the licensing rights yep. that, that Netflix has been getting out of. So yes. they've, I mean, exactly obviously you go point. to Netflix today, like I was actually today, I was watching the the new Dave Chappelle uh, episodes that are on, which are they're fantastic. Which are, yeah. They're fantastic, but please, if you are, if if you don't like certain words, you shouldn't listen no, no, to them. Of course, but but really, really good. And they, I mean, obviously, they paid directly for those to get access rights, and they're creating all kinds of their own uh, content. And they're just going in a completely different direction. And they they don't have so much licensing as they as near enough near what they had, which at the beginning it was all licensing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So anyway, I just thought it was a very interesting statistic. And then in context with where ESPN is, it just shows that putting your investment dollars into just, you know, just to your point, you know, that we were just talking about for 20 minutes, putting dollars and cash into original content is the investment that where, you know, folks like Netflix and Amazon and the cable companies are going to establish direct relationships and monetize that content with audiences. So it's just yet another argument in the quiver of why original content is important. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So the second thing is a quick rave. Um, and I don't know if you remember last week, but I was sort of 
flustered that I nobody had written this article that I wanted to write about ad tech and, yeah. and where ad tech was going. And well, somebody did. Oh, um, really? And, uh, well, it's uh, you know, it's not quite the article that I thought it would be, but it's great. It's a fantastic article, and I just want to just rave on it because um, I think it's so good. And it, I may use it for inspiration as I continue to think about writing something. But it's Doc Searles, of course. And, and I should have known Doc would write something on this. I've, I've had the distinct pleasure of getting to know Doc a little bit over the years, um, seeing him at a few events and chatting and, and, and meeting him and whatnot. And he, on his blog, which of course we'll link to in the show notes, he wrote an article or a blog post called Brands Need to Fire Ad Tech and just goes through I mean, it, it reads like, you know, it reads like a multiple show note for our for our podcast because it's just, you know, going through all these things that we've been talking about for the last, um, you know, call it six months about ad tech and the challenges and the, you know, surveillance based marketing versus original content and blah, blah, blah. It's just it's just really well done. So it, it will become maybe a, a source of research for me, but it's just a great blog post. And I thought I would just give a, a shout out to it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I I. You're, do you feel disappointed that you didn't write it though? No, 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 no. You're I, fine. I, if, if anybody was going to write it, it's going to be Doc. And, and by the way, it's it, you know he's writing it from his you know I mean you talk about like iconoclast you know sort of cranky you know person like Fran. Doc is that way too about most marketing technology, marketing and advertising. He's kind of cranky, iconoclastic, and so you know I think it needs to be written from a marketing's perspective. And I, so I think there's still a voice there that I can have and, and, and write this thing, but yeah, no, I think it's, it's, but it's just a great post. Excellent. Um, and mine is, yeah, mine, I have a quick commentary. Um, I guess the thing we, we didn't really talk about, um, in, in too much detail from ICC, but I was able to sit in, I, I moderated one session on the second day of ICC and it was Buddy Scalera and Matt Balo's uh, presentation on content engineering. Oh, and I wow. actually, I actually took a picture, and I'll and we'll put this on the blog on the Saturday launch. But it basically is, um, it says content strategy is a conduit between strategies, and and you know Buddy's speaking on this, and he and he's he has content strategy at the center, and he says, you know, I know this this you know I, I probably shouldn't put content strategy at the center, but he's sort of making. Uh, the case for how marketers need to think about this, and what I loved about it, and, and just the whole, the whole underlying theme that we talked about in the beginning was that um, I think to be a content marketer is one thing, and to be a content strategist is you're up leveling quite a bit <laughs> when you get into content strategy. Now, there's anything wrong with just being a content marketer, right? But if you if you're going to be a content strategist. You have to, and, and that's where where I love this image, and and I'll, sh- I'll make sure that you you see this. But he really goes through six keys. Um, the one is editorial and copy strategy, which is which is something a content marketer would do. He has design strategy, which some content marketers do. He has a content engineering strategy, which he says the content marketers do not do <laughs> at this time. Right. He has a content distribution strategy, which some some content marketers do. Then he has the media strategy there, which he says most content marketers do not do. And then he has a measurement strategy, and he says some, very few content marketers do that. And he's like, you have to – he says the, the content strategist has to understand – every piece of this model because content strategy brings it all together and it's like almost like a publisher at an organization or, yep, or an editor exactly in chief, right. depending yep. on the role and you have to understand both the revenue lines and the cost lines and then the output 
of what that content does and the behavior change that it makes. And that's where as a content marketer, if you're listening to this and you oversee the blog or you create the eBooks or you do the webinars or you do the podcast, you probably understand the inputs into that podcast and then you understand some of the outputs and the distribution. But you probably don't don't understand the total impact on the business. You certainly don't uh, look at all the analytics that go into that from a content engineering standpoint and a data science standpoint that's going to create that insight that you can take and look at the entire marketing activities of the organization. You probably don't work with media. You probably aren't looking at the media buys in the organization, but you absolutely need to from a content strategy standpoint. And you probably aren't looking at, at a holistic design strategy as well. You're probably looking at the design just that for you. You're not looking at overall branding or UI or anything like that. So that's why I love this, because I wish more content marketers would have been in that session, that they could see, oh, I get it. This is a business strategy. This is not just, you know, if, and by the way, if you just wanted to just, just focus on the blog and focus on the podcast and do it, there's nothing wrong with that. No, of course. But for those of you that want to be strategic in the business and you actually want to, you know, go up and up and up in your career and do whatever you want to do. These are the sorts of things that you're going to have to understand because if you don't, you won't have the opportunity to significantly affect the business in a positive way. So I just loved it. I, I've been thinking about it for the last few days since I saw it. And uh, I was just glad I took this picture of it and uh, we'll make sure we share it out with everyone. Fantastic. So. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's good. And it was Buddy an easy, it was easy to those, understand. Buddy yeah. Scalera is one of those guys where, you know, he's, he's, He's so lovable, you forget sometimes how amazingly smart he he truly is. He's just a really, really intelligent guy. And by the way, just a a shout out for Buddy in general. Buddy does uh, comic book school on the side. He's he's a tremendous, I mean, he's written for Deadpool. He is a tremendous writer for comic books. He's just created a new comic book series called Midlife Crisis, <laughs> which is fantastic. He gave us a copy of it. So for those of you that, that really love comic books and love great writing and comic books, make sure you check that out. It's called Midlife Crisis. Nice. So, nice. Which, which not, not you or I would never go through anything like that. But <laughs> yes, exactly. Just in case. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we uh, have do a, we have a this old marketing? We do have a fun little this old marketing this week. Um, so first of all, so what we're going to talk about here uh, is the Blues Kitchen. Do you know the Blues Kitchen? Do you know the? the I've heard of it just the, from the podcast, from you, but I haven't. No, I, I haven't. I haven't checked it out. Give me the details. So, so the Blues Kitchen. So first of all, the the, the Blues Kitchen itself. Um, is a Texas barbecue restaurant, and there's a bunch of them, right? So there's one, there's in London, um, there's uh, there's a few of them uh, in, in London, um, and um, and but here it is, it's a, so it's a Texas barbecue place that operates out of uh, out of the UK. But for, before I get into it, I want a big a big hat tip here to Rob Johnson, um, who sent this over. Uh, to us via the email address, actually. And he's the chief content officer for Engage Media, and he's in Australia. So what I absolutely love, and this just says something about our little show here. So here's somebody in Australia sending us a This Old Marketing about a Texas barbecue restaurant, about a podcast in London playing American blues, right? So (laughs) we're truly global here, folks. Um, Anyway, so... The Blues Kitchen is this wonderful restaurant in uh, in London, and it's been around for a while. 
Um, and they have this podcast. This podcast is uh, been going for a couple of years now, and it's on iTunes, and it's called The Blues Kitchen. Um, and basically, it's a weekly show that they do featuring blues music. And they've had people like George Clinton. They've had the Black Crows. They've had um, you know uh, Gabriel Roth. They've had Black Rebel Motorcycle Club and just amazing blues music. Um, they've got 400,000 subscribers to the podcast. Wow. Um, they're regularly the top spot on the alternative radio charts in the UK um, and the Europe and, and the US, by the way. And so here it is, a restaurant putting out a podcast for the last few years featuring music and the lifestyle of this, you know, what they're trying to promote here within the restaurant that they're, you know, brought to you by this restaurant with 400,000. And by the way, is one of the more popular radio and music stations in the world here. Um, they also, by the way, have the current record for the world's longest musical jam, which they have. They had a 50-hour nonstop music session in September 2014 to celebrate their fifth birthday. So they've, you know, so they've been around now almost a, almost a decade, about eight and a half years now. And so it's just an amazing thing that they do all these really interesting special shows. They do charity events. It's a content brand as well as a restaurant brand, and I think just an amazing, wonderful example of this old marketing. That's fantastic. It's just I love hearing about um, things you'd never consider. Yeah, think of. Uh, it's just really cool. Really creative yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's, it's really really cool. And thank you to uh, Rob for sending that over. It's a uh, it's 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 a fantastic example. So you are you're traveling again? I am traveling. This yes, week? I am on the road tomorrow. I am you know just fresh off the plane from Intelligent Content Conference. I get on the plane tomorrow and fly out to the East Coast where I'm doing. I'll be back on Thursday. So. Um, yeah, so a, a, a relatively quick trip. Then I'm home for two weeks. So I'm oh good, yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, but it's uh, more travel. Thank yeah, you. I I still have. Yeah, my travel is is going to be frequent over the next month or so. I have um, not. I mean this this week's not bad. I mean this week is I'm going to Nashville, a beautiful city of Nashville. Oh, I love for, Nashville. Nashville's um, great. I'm uh, I, I'm keynoting their uh, um, AMA conference uh, oh, that they're little okay. they're doing there. All right. Um, so I'm looking forward. So anybody in in Nashville, looking forward to to seeing you there. And um, that's uh, that's it for the week. And then and then next few weeks, uh, I think. Well, I do have some. I do have a golf trip in the next two weeks, so I can't really say that it's all business related. <laughs> yeah, so it's golf. You we'll have to, to figure out. Yeah, you can we'll you're have to go figure to out and play with uh, <laughs> yeah. play with our commander in chief. See, I, I I play on the courses that uh, they let you take fifteen dollar replays. Yeah. For golf, that's gonna, that's I'm the gonna, type. I'm going to bet that they allow you to take replays at Mar-a-Lago. I'm going to bet that he he takes a little cash on the side for that. Uh, I have. Eight comments, and I'm not going to say any of them on this show right now. <laughs> that should be All it. right. We should probably stop while we're yeah, ahead. Probably. Um, yeah, probably. That is it, ladies and gentlemen, for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We are signing off. Um, and if you like this episode number 177, and by the way, we're going to plan something really awesome for episode number 200. So get your popcorn. As uh, as it was said one point, um, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? We love those reviews. We need those reviews. We want those reviews. The Glengarry reviews, we want them. And if you haven't yet, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com or your favorite podcatcher. When you leave us a review or if you subscribe, 
Let us know, won't you? Hashtag us up at This Old Marketing and also the story ideas. Hashtag us up as well. This Old Marketing. We love your story ideas. As you can tell from this episode, they are very, very helpful for us indeed. You can tweet us up or you can also send email to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today, including the wonderful image that Joe took at ICC, will be available in the show notes as we publish on Monday night and, of course, in the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.